I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevnik. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bigfoot Breakdown. Today, we're going to talk about the cowman story of Cap- cowman of Capalis Beach. Um, so we'll just, like we usually do, we'll just kind of go through this paragraph by paragraph, and we'll break the story down, and we'll get everybody's input. Uh, so it starts out, in the mid-1960s, my dad owned a large roofing product mill in Aberdeen, Washington. He had teams of men who would cut fallen old-growth cedar, salvage... Uh, let me go back here. He had a crew of men, teams of men, that would go out and cut fallen old-growth cedar, salvage left after logging operations. Uh, he had permits to salvage a large amount of wood in the coastal areas of Grays Harbor County primarily in the area around Capalis Beach. Several of the men on his cutting crews lived in and around Capalis Beach. His foreman, a man I will call John for the story, was a bright, down-to-earth, hard worker. My dad trusted him with thousands of dollars of vehicles and equipment, as well as the safety of his crews. He was not the kind of man to make up stories. Um, You know, that was kind of a thing when I was a teenager. uh, Our friend Charlie, he used to be able to go out and there was a lot of uh, cedar big cedar trees i mean i've seen trees that were you know eight ten feet thick and a lot of times they were buried in the ground and they looked like they were totally rotten but he'd take his chainsaw and cut into some of those and there was some of the most beautiful cedar wood in down inside of there because cedar it, it um it lasts a long time it's very resilient to uh, rotting that's why it's used in shakes or at least it used to be in shakes on roofs um so this was something that was definitely uh, an industry in those areas. Okay, moving on. Uh, on a Monday morning sometime in July, John was several hours late for work. This was highly unusual as he was always there early, getting the saws and trucks ready for the day. My dad said that he was visibly shaken up, and when he asked him what was wrong, he asked my dad to go into the office so the others wouldn't hear him. They went in and sat down, and John simply said, something destroyed our house this weekend. My dad thought he said someone broke into our house and asked John if it was someone he knew. John said, you don't understand. This wasn't a person. This was a, I don't know what it was. But completely, but it completely thrashed the house. The family's going to stay with my brother and Elma for a while. So right there, he's kind of setting the stage. Um... <clears throat> So moving on, a little confusion, which is obviously, you know, I can imagine uh, what the father was thinking. My dad asked him to explain what had happened. John said that when he got home from work Friday evening, his youngest son, Tim, who was around four at the time, told him he saw a big cowman walking at the edge of their field that afternoon. He thought the boy meant cowboy because some of his neighbors wore cowboy hats and they were out in the sun. He asked if the man was wearing a cowboy hat, and the boy said, No, Daddy, he was a cowman, furry and stinky like the cows. He asked his wife if if she knew what he was talking about, and she said Tim was playing on the porch that afternoon when he came running in and said cowman was stuck on the fence and was very excited. So he went out to see, or she went out to see what he was talking about. She said as she opened the door, she was hit by a horrible smell, like wet dogs and garbage. Tim was pointing across to the field, opposite their house and said he got loose she looked and there he was gesturing and could and could see at the top strand of the barbed wire bouncing up and down as if somebody had just pulled on it really hard and let it go she didn't see the cowman and noticed nothing out of the ordinary except for the smell so what do you guys think of that part so far i mean <clears throat> you know that something trashed the house and then you know the little boy and at four years old they're not apt to i mean they do make things up but usually when they're excited it's something that really happened um yeah he was trying to get the message across and so far none of this is inconsistent with known bigfoot behavior none of it 
Yeah. You know, it makes me think of little, the four-year-old at the uh, the Goldhammer place in Yakold. When we were there, There was uh, they had two young children. One was six. The other was three. And uh, the little boys, you know, they mentioned to one of uh, uh, the gal, Carol, who was our um, on our board of directors of my organization at that time, and, and the little boys come up and said, they pointed out in the field next to the house, and they said, the big monkey and his boys were playing out there today. You know, I mean, totally unsolicited. They just came up to her and said, hey, you know, they point out there said the big monkey and his two boys are out there. And we had established that there were at least the one adult and two juveniles. So it was very interesting. Um, okay, let's move on. She told Tim to come inside and play well, can for I, Can I say something? Oh, yeah, can go I ahead say first. something real quick? Yeah. Um, I find it unusual. Well, maybe not unusual. Yeah, well, yes, unusual <laughs> is the word. And um, something that we need to be observant about, that when children see them, most generally they refer to them as big monkeys. Right. They differentiate between, uh, and humans don't necessarily, I mean humans, uh, adults don't necessarily say that, but children almost always do. Here's an interesting point I wanted to bring up, too. We talked about the Ruby Creek story last week. And you remember the nine-year-old boy came in and said there was a there was a big cow coming down out of the field. And this little boy also called the creature a cowman. I, I just find that interesting. And, and the, the, the Ruby Creek story was 1941. This was early 60s. So they didn't really have the words at that time for something like what a Bigfoot would it would be. It's just interesting to me that they would use especially a cow as a reference. Especially a four-year-old. Yeah, right. Well, do you think it had something to do with acceleration? Yeah, that's very possible, sure. Maybe cinnamon color, and they're used to seeing Hereford cows. Yeah, and, and little kids. Red and white cows. And little kids probably wouldn't see bear very often. I mean, we never did as kids. I mean, I did one time, I ran into one, but uh, but it was rare. You know, whereas you'd see cows all the time. It was something kind of in your frame of reference that you would refer to. If you're trying to describe something you saw, what's the nearest thing in your vocabulary that you would have? It might be a cow. And like in this case, she thought because it was big, hairy, and stinky. Okay. Um, next paragraph, <clears throat> she told him to come inside and play for the rest of the day. She felt uneasy and a little scared. Their older son, John Jr., who was 12 at the time, was at a friend's house and walked home a short while after Tim saw his cowman. Uh, he told her somebody had followed him home, where we've heard that before, walking in the woods off to the right side of the road. He never seen, he never seen who it was. They never left the woods, but he said it had to be a really big man. He would hear large sticks cracking, and the footsteps were very heavy. Once he got to the driveway of their house, the uh, woods stopped at the field where his brother had had his sighting. The footstep, footsteps stopped, and John never saw anything. He was pretty shaken up by the event and wanted his dad to go out in the woods and check it out with him. Uh, where have we heard this before? Many times. Okay, let's see. Make sure I'm at the right place here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, I've got to get... Oh, here we are. Okay. Sorry about that. Later that evening, John strapped down his three fifty seven and took his older son out into the field to have a look. First, they walked to the area where the cowman was supposedly stuck on the fence and walked down the fence line looking for anything. They came, apart, they came upon a large clump of of long reddish brown hair tangled in the top strand of the barbed wire, which is consistent with what the four-year-old said. He tried to pull it off, but it was really tangled up, so he pulled out his buck knife and sawed it off and said there was hair all over, or they had said the hair was over a foot long, real coarse and stringy. Uh, there appeared to be a bit of flesh matted in the clump at the top wire. Um, at the top, wire was pulled loose from one of the posts. Whatever was hung on the fence was very big. He handed the hair to his son to hold on to, and he climbed through the fence and walked towards the woods. He said he was looking for any sign of tracks on the ground, 
The hair kind of looked like it was from a horse's mane or tail. The ground was solid, grassy field, and there was no hoof prints or any kind of other tracks to be seen. So <clears throat> this is the kind of stuff we hear sometimes, too, with you know hair being stuck on a barbed wire fence. Um, any thoughts, anyone? I can't remember where I heard it from, but it doesn't say in here, but didn't they confirm that the neighbors did not have horses or cows or anything that that would have matched up to? I I don't know. Well, it wouldn't have been on their property, certainly. I mean, they would have said so. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. This is is where it gets kind of interesting. The edge of the woods began about 10 feet from the fence line, which is pretty close. And they entered on a small game trail that deer frequented. It was around 8 at night, and in the woods it was getting to be fairly dark. They walked for a ways, soon began to smell a rotten, garbage-wet dog odor his wife had reported earlier. John said he had the feeling they were being watched. The hair on the back of his neck was standing up. He told his son they should head back before it got dark, and the boy didn't argue. As they began walking back out, they could hear heavy footsteps off to their left. They stopped, and the footsteps stopped. They walked on nearly to the clearing, and John whispered to his son, run like hell to the house on the count of three. John Jr. nodded, and John whispered, one, two, three. Gave his son a push in the back to get him started, then spun around and raced off the trail in the opposite direction towards the footsteps with his gun drawn. Off the trail, the underbrush was dense with ferns and bushes. He had a hard time making headway, but as he got closer, he could hear it moving away from him, deeper into the woods. At this time, he told he told my dad that he thought it was a vagrant camping out in the woods, possibly scoping out houses to rob at night. John was a big man and capable of taking care of himself in most any situation, and he had a larger caliber handgun, so he wasn't too worried about confronting a vagrant in the woods. He was a, He was a few yards off the trail in deep brush when he heard, um, the movement stopped just ahead of him. Then he stopped to look and listen. He thought he saw a movement by a large tree, like someone was trying to hide there. He leveled his gun and said, Come out come out nice and slow, or I swear to God I'll come back there and shoot you. So what do you guys think so far? That sounds like so much, so so many encounters that we've heard including the one that i had where it was just it was just this rapid movement behind a tree and then zipping across uh uh, an opening so um and i don't think they understand english so he probably didn't know that (laughs) he's being threatened (laughs) okay let's move on it was silent for a moment then he thought then he caught movement out of the corner of his eye and spun around to his right for a better look He said it looked like a huge bear moving through the brush. He could only see bits of it through the dense ferns, but it was moving quietly away from the tree on four legs. Again, very interesting. Uh, It was about 15 feet away from him. At first, he thought it was a bear. Then he he suddenly saw a huge hairy arm with a human-like hand reach out of the brush and grab a small alder tree. The tree was about four inches in diameter, and it grabbed hold about five feet up he said it was so fast it was a blur but the thing pulled itself upright out of the brush holding the tree it stood on two legs and turned its upper body to glare at john it was enormous he couldn't believe how bulky it was he said it was well over seven feet tall and at least half that big through the chest it was too dark to make out many features but its eyes seemed to be he said his eyes seemed to glow a deep red he thought he could see teeth like it was curling back its lips. Now, I don't know about the the red glow. I mean, what kind of light there was. But, you know, another very interesting point here was it pulled back its lip. It did the lip flip. It showed it bared its teeth at him. What do you guys think? It wasn't happy he was there. That's for sure. Especially that gun pointed at him. Well, and there's there's a lot of detail there. I mean, you know, for if it was a made-up story, how are all these details so accurate with other sightings that we hear about? Um, yeah, there's just too much in there to, that matches up with encounters from today. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. it was running on all fours. 
for one thing, and we talked about that in a Q and A. Um, you know, and he talks about how big it was, and I can test to my own first encounter how thick. I wouldn't say it was half that thick. Well, I mean, you know, the creature I estimated around eight feet tall, the first one, and it was it was a good feet three feet thick from the front of its chest to its back. It was it was enormous. It was so bulky. Um, and then interesting how it pulled itself up by grabbing hold of the alder tree and then kind of you know and he describes the arm and the hand um okay let's see it stood for just a brief moment then it lunged ahead pushing back on the tree with tremendous force the tree snapped loudly and crashed into the trees around it getting hung up in the branches not falling to the ground then it disappeared deep into the brush uh, with frightening speed and again we talk about how fast these things move uh sounding like a bulldozer with no engine sounds john stood there in shock as his gun temporarily forgotten then he realized it was heading towards the house the way his son had went he turned and ran to the trail hoping to gain ground on it and then cut it off before it reached the clearing he hit the trail hit the trail and ran as fast as he could towards the clearing all the while hearing the creature thrash through the brush on his side um okay let's see let's go on to the next paragraph <clears throat> he burst into the clearing looked direct and looked frantically up for his son john jr was standing just inside the fenced field waiting for his dad john screamed at me to run to the house then he saw the thing crash out of the woods about 50 feet to his left it crossed the 10-foot clearing and stepped over the fence in two strides that was again that was about he said the, the fence was about 10 feet from the tree line so two steps uh, cleared that space and then went over the fence um, it was running through the field parallel to his son in a matter of seconds john screamed and the son for at his son to run faster and took aim at the creature he didn't fire because he was afraid to hit his son or his house so he vaulted over the fence and ran in pursuit of them he could see it angling towards his son and again there was no way his boy would make it to the uh, gate before it cut him off in desperation, he pointed the gun at the, to the ground at his side and fired as he ran, hoping to scare it. It veered more sharply towards his son, and put out an enormous and put on an enormous burst of speed. He heard his boy scream, then he seemed to collide. He saw the creature dip its shoulder down a little bit, and suddenly John Jr. was airborne. He flew about ten feet and then hit the ground rolling. Uh, the creature never paused. It continued to run at an amazing speed in a loop back towards the woods. Once the, once the line of fire was clear, John stopped and squeezed off the remaining five rounds at the retreating creature. He was pretty sure all the shots went wild. The creature never made a sound or even slowed down. It was soon over the fence and back in the woods. He reached his son, who was shaken up but not physically hurt. He asked his dad if it was a bear. Apparently, little John was so busy running for the house he didn't see the creature running after him he suddenly he said something big and black suddenly ran into him and he left a huge paw or he felt a huge paw hit his bottom and he said it felt like he was falling so there's a lot there what do you guys think about all that well it kind of sort of reminds me a little bit of the yakult situation remember the kid went up to the creature and similar sure you know yeah, it's it's similar. I mean, it's not exactly, but um, yeah, I'd be scared. <laughs> Especially, I don't think if I understand, if I, as I recall correctly, this guy, this is sort of before Bigfoot really became a known thing. Right, right. So you're dealing with something that what am I dealing with here? Yeah, they had no idea. Probably at that time period, probably never heard the word Bigfoot. Had no idea. But it's interesting, again, in the details he describes, um, you know, the speed of the creature. We've heard, um, you know, in accounts where, you know, the distance covered in only a couple of steps. You know, again, if it was, if it were a made-up story, why such an accurate detail that's only, yeah. that only comes out of legitimate stories? Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, it hit his son. I mean, you can't make that up. I mean, why would you? And it's interesting how it did it. It was running at so fast, then it dipped its shoulder. 
apparently reaching down and scooping the kid up and then flipping him. Um, I, it kind of reminds me of things you would see chimps doing. Or a football player making a tackle. What, what do you think, Forrest? Is, is For, Forrest, are you there? No, I'm here. Oh, what do you think about that? I mean, how, how it did that? I was coughing. <clears throat> well, I, you know, I thank you. Uh, now, can I ask a question? And I may have missed it in the, sure. in the, con- in the course of the, uh, the story there. Was this, was he on uh, running quadrupedally or was he running bipedally? I, I'm assuming bipedally because he didn't say it was going, it went down on all fours. It, it, it made two steps across the open area, the 10 foot space between the tree line and the fence, went over the fence and then was still running after the, running towards the kid. Hmm. And it's interesting. Here's an interesting um, point too. Now I, I can attest to shooting in the air to try to scare one of these things and it didn't react. In this case, he shot at the ground to make the noise, and the creature seemed to veer even more in the direction of the kid running, like it was kind of stepping up what it was doing. Well, he probably, he probably pissed it off. So that's kind um, of what I'm we thinking. To, well, we we hear that a lot of times with hunters that um, if, <clears throat> Bigfoot seems to be intelligent enough to know that, and when you point that gun. Um, that something drastic happens, and um, so, um, but yeah, I think he pissed it off. Is what he did, you know? Yeah. Definitely shooting at me. You know, he said that he thought that he hit it, but no, the he animal said, didn't act like he was wounded or anything. No, so, he, I mean, he, he, he said he acted the intensity and such. I don't know what he was firing with. He, he had a three. <laughs> he had a three fifty seven. He said he didn't think he hit. He thought the shots all went wild. Oh, okay. Because I thought it, he said he, I thought he hit it. Yeah, the creature so. the creature never reacted. Um, okay. He said he told his well, wife. You know, Go ahead, Milo. Uh, one, one more thing with that, too, is we call that, like, reflective firing. Number one, that was a 357 pistol. He just got done running through a friggin' field. He wouldn't be taking good shots anyway. His quality shots would have been sucking. Yeah, you'd have to stop and take aim. I mean. Well, he would have I mean, after running, I mean, we do we did that on reflective fire training. Mm-hmm. You know, you run for like like five hundred feet, you're not going to be able to shoot. No, not a good shot. And and he was probably scared, and he was he was worried about the kid, and you know, it's a very quick, fluid situation. So, I mean, unless you're really uh, disciplined well, in a situation like yeah. that, it'd be really hard to react correctly in that. I mean. You know, well, then the other two things that you just said, and I just read it again, too, is number one, the fear of shooting a son. Well, right. hell, if you're you're aiming all that way anyway, all your shots are going to go off because you're breathing. You're probably not going to be disciplined enough to have trigger discipline where the trigger, your finger stays on the trigger after each shot being fired Two. Your 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 the breathing isn't gonna be you know the pause in between each breath when you shoot. Yeah, you don't you're, have any breath you're control. Freaking the, you're freaking you're freaking out that your son's about to get, you know, God knows before all that. And then what happens if you did take a shot and hit your son in the fir- in in the meantime? Well, that's so, that's why he shot one time at the ground. Then after the right? after he yeah. got to his son. Then the creature ran off. That's when he unloaded the rest of the, the cylinder. But you know, like oh, you said, sure. well, it's just a revolver. Yeah, three fifty-seven. Okay, yeah, three fifty-seven. Going to carry anyway. Yeah. How if the creature, anyway. if ahead. the creature knew the dad was giving chase, I wonder if he did that to the son to make the dad go check on the son instead of chasing it. Probably. Yeah. Good point. Huh. Yeah, I mean, it's really yeah, good. The, yeah, he was coming after the creature with a gun, so the creature decided to go after the kid. That That's a great point. It, it was probably to divert the attack on the creature, even though the creature probably could have easily got outran him. But, you know, it's interesting yeah. that instead of running away, that's what it did. And it scooped and tossed the, the, the boy. What You know, I mean, that just probably... 
Yeah, yeah. those other five shots went nuts. Yeah, it didn't. I, it didn't. I don't think he could have hit him. It didn't kill the kid. That was interesting. It could have swatted him, and he would have been done right away. Instead, oh. it just flipped. Yeah. Him. It flipped him, and it took off like it was trying to get his father to focus on the kid while it made its escape. Right. Yeah. That. That. I like that. That. That works for me. Okay. He told his wife that it was a large animal, possibly a bear. He didn't know how to begin to tell her uh, the four-year-old was right. His comment was real, and it was more frightening than anything he could imagine. He told them all to keep the doors locked and stay away from the windows. About 10 o'clock that night, both boys were in bed. John and his wife sat down to watch the news. They soon heard a loud moaning cry, like the like, kind of like a siren uh, on the volunteer fire department. It would stretch out for a long time and then end with a whoop-whoop sound. It was coming from the woods opposite the house. His wife asked, what in the hell is that? John answered truthfully, it was Tim's cowman. Um, he then decided to tell her the full details of what had happened. She immediately wanted to call the sheriff. He persuaded her that it would sound crazy uh, and that he would handle it himself. She reluctantly agreed and told him, she didn't want either of the kids to go outside until the thing was gone. The howling went on until around midnight. Then it got quiet. John wanted to stay up through the night and watch over the house, but he had a long day at work and excitement earlier had worn him out. Uh, they went to bed around 1 in the morning and had no further problems that night. They slept in that morning, and the boys were already up and watching cartoons when they got out of bed. The first little thing John said uh, that he heard the bear rubbing against the house that night. He was too scared to get up and tell his parents and fell back asleep soon after. Then Tim said that the cowman talks funny. This stopped John cold. He asked his son, When did you talk to the cowman? Tim replied, Last night in my room. John asked, The cowman was in your room? No, Daddy, he's too big for my room. He talked to my window. John said, and turned back to the cartoons, uh, What did the cowman say, Tim? John asked. And this is the four-year-old telling this. Um, let me see. Let me go down here. Oh, he says, he talks funny. I don't know what he said. He talks like, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, Tim said, and started making strange monkey-like noises. Did the cowman try to get in your window? John asked, breaking out in a cold sweat. He's too big for that. He made funny faces. He has Lincoln log teeth, Tim said while smiling. Okay, what do you guys think of that section? Yeah, you're going to be pretty would, freaked uh, out at that point. It's it's kind of like, remember the guy we talked about in Southern Oregon where the creature kept coming up to the window with these little kids in the bedroom? It was very similar kind of account, and that's the one that always sticks in my mind. I mean, I've talked to people about other similar accounts, but that one reminds me of this one so so much. Yeah, it does. It's too bad you couldn't... Um... I mean, if it's doing that at my house, quite frankly, it's here. I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Barrett. <laughs> and and the rub and the rubbing against the house. You know, I've heard that numerous times. You know, where they'll come up to a building and and push on it or rub on it. Um, I've seen markings on cabins. You know, by them doing things like that. Uh, and the Lincoln log. It's it's funny. He mentions it made funny faces. He has Lincoln log teeth. That description of teeth, the big blocky teeth, that's something we hear commonly. Um, yeah, but that's from a four-year-old, From right? a four-year-old, yeah. And and it kind of makes you wonder, what was it doing with its face? It was making funny faces, he said. Now, a four-year-old wouldn't know serious from anything else in a situation like that. So what do you guys think it was doing with its face? Maybe trying to draw the kid closer to the window so he could grab him? Well, you know, me being four years old, I see some. Why wouldn't you be screaming? Look, or is that just movie crap? Little kids react differently. I think in real situations they don't. They they might think it's, they might think it's something friendly. Well, now was that John Junior that got tossed, or is that Tim that got? Tossed? That was John Junior. That was the twelve-year-old. Oh, okay. And this is the four-year-old telling this. Okay. Yeah, good. Man. Okay. Uh, John later 
learned Tim meant that it had square teeth that looked like the same size as small blocks in the Lincoln Log set. Apparently spent quite a while talking and making faces outside the boy's window. Tim said it lay down and went to sleep outside and he could hear it snoring. John walked to his younger son's room, cautiously peering out the window. No sleeping cowman. John told the boys to get dressed. They were going to go visit their uncle and Elma for the day. Um, after his wife and kids left, he called one of the men from his crew, asked him to come over. I'll pick him up. Patrick, he was an ex-state patrolman, and my dad said he was kicked off the force because of a drinking problem. Uh, he was a good worker and never got drunk before dark, so Jim figured, or John figured he would be um, have the most of the day looking for this thing. When Patrick arrived, John greeted him at the door and said, you up for some hunting? Seeing how it was not hunting season, Patrick told him he doesn't poach um, and doesn't even want to know about it if John did. John told him it wasn't the deer he was after uh, and went on to explain the previous night's events. Patrick didn't really believe him, but could see he was sincere and still shook up. John had his pistol and a bold action 30 out 6. Patrick had a 38 in his car and John loaned him his 12 gauge. They first circled the house looking for any sign of the nocturnal visitor. At the back of the house, there was a spigot for the garden hose, and it always leaked. There was a patch of ground worn bare under the grass, or under the, uh, like under the grass under it, and it turned had turned to mud. In the center of the mud was a huge clear imprint of what looked like a bare human foot. John said it was at least 18 inches long and very wide. It was so clear that he got the feeling it was left there on purpose. Uh, they found no other prints around the house or places in the fields or woods where a track could have been made. See, to me now, that's, again, very interesting. It's like purpose, purposeful placement of footprints, which means it tells me if that's real, then they have to be very aware of their own markings. So when they're in places, are they doing that for a purpose, like in this one? And there was no other place where there was a footprint except under this spot where there was a very clear one left. I mean... Do you guys think that was done for a specific reason? It sounds like it, but it's hard to say. There's not enough information. Yeah, it does. But it makes you wonder, like he said, there was other places where tracks would have been places. Oh, but he says, okay, let me back up just a little bit in the story. He says, well, go ahead, Milo. Um, was it already heading that direction anyway? He didn't say. Or was it coming? Okay. They, see, they, were, that... they were just going around, around the house at this point looking for any kind okay. of markings. And they found, they only found the one print that was under a, a water a water spigot that dripped. And it had made kind of a, a muddy spot there. So they found that Ooh. a big clear print, at least 18 inches long and very wide. Uh, so it was so clear they got the feeling that it was left there on purpose. They found no other prints around the house or in places in the field and woods where a track would have been or could have been made. The creature seemed to avoid them off to the side. Uh, off to the side of the track in the mud, there were four straight lines about eight inches long. He said it looked like someone had raked their fingers through the mud where they, where they, when they circled around the side of the house and got to Tim's window, they saw what it was for. Okay, now I've seen this where they've dragged their fingers in mud. I've taken pictures of it. Uh, some really good ones. Tom, remember we talked about going up to Lee's house, and I found fresh drag marks. Four, it was obviously it was four big yeah. fingers dragged about an inch deep into the clay. Uh, he says above the top of the window, a good seven feet, a good seven feet up, were four muddy streaks on the window itself, where a dozen large muddy fingerprints. The glass wasn't even cracked or broken, just smeared with mud. And by the time, by this time, Patrick was fast becoming convinced something strange had indeed happened there the night before. So, you know, it seems like, I mean, was it marking the window? Was it, you know, or was it just like kind of working itself up to a situation where maybe it was going to grab the kid? That that sounds to me like that's what it was doing. It was marking the window to remember where the kid was to maybe come back and try and get him later. Forrest, from an anthropologist, what do you think about this so far? Be afraid. Be very, very afraid. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean... Um, it, I mean, that doesn't well, sound like a scientific uh, analysis of the situation, but uh, I kind of tend to agree that... Uh, he was 
uh, out to get the smaller child. Yeah. Milo, were you going to say it something? It does. Well, yeah, because it sounds like, you know, curiosity. I mean, the four-year-old actually sounded like it wanted to talk. You know, it it was, he was very like, curious. Like, you know, like he curious. was making friends with the kid. Yeah, and the kid was accepting it. And it was like, oh, good. <laughs> okay. A little snack on the way home. Okay. Well, children that age tend to sometimes not be uh, afraid of things like an older child would learn that there are certain things to be fearful of. Uh, uh, smaller children sometimes will get themselves into trouble because they don't, they aren't, they are not naturally fearful of, uh, you know, well, animals like that. Now, you know, taking the surrounding where they were, I mean, both of the kids were, you know, very outdoorsy, so at least kind of, I would, I, I would like to think, you know, at least they had more sense than anybody coming out of Puyallup would like me. I mean, you know, damn. I'll tell you though, from, you know, growing up on a farm out in the woods like that, um, I, you know, I was out in the woods all the time, wasn't afraid of anything, yeah, yeah. anything until it come face to face with that black bear. And then, and then that's, that's a shock to your system. Of course, as a kid, you know, I was probably nine years old at the time and you learn very quickly, oh, there's things out here I really need to be paying attention to and, and afraid of so but prior to that not a thought not a thought yeah. well, speaking of there that kid that four-year-old kid could have literally thought of that sasquatch as a big teddy bear sure yeah okay now you know i came from like long beach california and you know i mean everything i knew was in the zoo you know right. so you know, I, if I saw something like that, well, oh, man, you know, there's a fit between me and that. You know, what is a window going to do? Here's but, now this next art. This next paragraph is something we've heard many times. This is very interesting. He says, before going out into the woods, John wanted to feed the family pigs. They had two of them, apparently fairly young, weighing about 40 pounds each. The pig, the pig pen was about 100 yards away from the house behind an old barn. Oh, darn it. Hold on. Okay, let me go on here. Oops. Got to turn that back on. We, we get all these people at Collier, all these spam calls. Um, sorry. Oh, yeah. Okay, they entered... Let me see if we go back here. The, the pig pen was about 100 yards away from the house behind an old barn. They got closer... Or as they got closer, John became concerned they couldn't hear them making any noises. Usually they squealed like crazy when they knew food was near at hand, but this morning it was completely silent. They rounded the corner and the pen was empty. No sign of damage or struggle. The pigs were just gone. They searched uh, the barn but found nothing out of place, so they decided to hit the woods and try to kill this thing. So we've heard this before, many times, where pigs are either killed or just taken. By these creatures so apparently it's uh either an easy or, or something that they got a taste for they wanted some bacon for breakfast uh, apparently so they entered on the same trail john and john jr had taken the day before john showed patrick the fence or the broken fence wire and told him again about the hair it was a bright summer morning and john was surprised at the difference from the previous evening the night before it had been still and silent now the woods were alive with birds and small animals. He showed Patrick the broken tree, and they followed the creature's trail and found uh, several more. Oh, this is interesting. Interesting. They found several more trees with large branches twisted and broken. Uh, they could see large, faint impressions of footprints on the ground, where the ground was soft. They followed the deer trail farther back into the woods, encountering nothing unusual. By noon, they were both getting hungry, hungry so they hiked back to the house for lunch. They spent the rest of the day poking around, but saw nothing more out of the ordinary. Now, that's another detail that you wouldn't find from this time period in a faked story. The trees were, uh, tree limbs were twisted and broken. Something Bob Titmus told me he found. Something I've seen myself many times. Uh, Tom, you've seen it too. Many, many times. Absolutely. Okay. I'd be curious to know if they were pointed towards the house. You know, I don't know if that means anything or not, what direction they're pointed in, because we've seen things pointed in all kinds of directions, and 
there's been nothing to lend been nothing that i've yeah. seen that lends anything you know to a theory that they're pointing something at a direction for whatever but we don't know uh just before dark that night his wife and kids drove up he and patrick were sitting on the porch with the guns watching the woods his wife asked if they'd seen anything john told her about the footprint in the mud on the and on the window or and the mud on the window Patrick had retrieved a pint size of booze from his car and Wells well on his way to getting smashed. John decided he didn't want to frighten didn't want to frighten drunk with a gun around his family, so he suggested that Patrick could go home. Nothing was going to happen anyway. Patrick agreed and drove off, and John continued to watch the woods. His wife brought a pot a plate of food and a Coleman lantern and a flashlight. He told her he would stay out there and watch the house through the night. Before they went to bed, Oh, so I didn't see how long he sat out there. Um, he was going to stay all night, but apparently went to bed. Uh, okay, let me go back a little bit here. His wife brought out a plate of food and a Coleman lantern and a flashlight. He told her he would stay out there and watch the house through the night. Before they went to bed, he went into the room with the help from his wife, pushed the king-size bed as far from the window as they could. They agreed that his wife and kids would all sleep in that bed for the night and he would keep watch around the house. She had grown up hunting and knew how to handle a gun as good as him, so she insisted on keeping a shotgun in the room with them. He agreed after making her promise and to ask uh, for a name before shooting. If any, anything, if replied, if it replied, John, please don't shoot it. Um... There was a good full moon that night, and John could see across the field uh, into the inky dark of the woods. The night air was filled with the sound of crickets, uh, and the pond behind the house was filled with croaking frogs. We've been in that situation, haven't we, Milo? Oh, yeah. As the moon rose higher, clumps of weeds in the field began casting sinister shadows, and before long, John was seeing big hairy creatures sneaking up on him uh, in each of them. He stood up and lit a cigarette, trying to shake the fear and concentrate on the task at hand. As he smoked, he wandered to the edge of the porch and stood there looking at the darkened barn. Something was different, but he couldn't quite place it. In front of the barn, facing the house, was open, and the moonlight was hitting it from the side, casting the interior in deep shadows. As he stood watching the black opening and finishing his smoke, thinking about the missing pigs, he realized what was wrong. All the crickets and the frogs had gone silent. It was as quiet as the inside of a mausoleum at night. He could hear the minute, shrill buzz of his own nervous system. As he turned to walk back to his chair, he thought he saw a movement in the barn. He looked intently at the opening and could make out nothing. Then he turned his head a bit to the side and saw what looked like two red eyes hovering about eight feet above the ground. He couldn't see them uh, if he was looking straight at them, but when he averted his eyes a little, they became clear. They were a deep, burning coal red, almost invisible in the dark. Every few seconds, he would hear disappear when the creature blinked. So and that's the only detail I, I'm having an issue with, unless like red eyes. unless he said then he did say that it was a bright moonlit night. So um, I, I wonder if you know the moonlight was bright enough to cause any kind of reflection in the eyes any thoughts on that unless well, he used the flashlight and they forgot to mention it i don't see how moonlight could do that yeah he didn't he didn't say uh, was it like it was a clear moonlight night it was right? yeah bright moonlight okay not like foggy or anything no no, or no, no it was summertime it was, it was summertime okay. it was summertime and bright moonlight <clears throat> Dang. that that's like the third time he described the red light or the red eyes yeah i'm not that's something i'm not too sure about but let's move on um his heart began thudding i mean now the one thing he said were the, the frogs and the crickets all stopped we've experienced that numerous times uh in conjunction with creatures so that is an aspect that does happen yeah um his heart began I love crickets man i'm telling you oh, i know his heart began thudding in his chest and he waited for it to leave the barn and approach the house he slowly backed up to his chair never looking away picking up his 30-06 he walked back to the end of the porch watched and waited he stood looking at the blinking eyes for what seemed like hours then the eyes suddenly blinked out and never came back 
He watched intently <clears throat> but could see no movement. He thought for a moment, then grabbed the flashlight and shined it at the barn. Okay, so apparently he didn't use the flashlight before. Um, the flashlight was too small to penetrate the darkness of the barn from this distance. He had to get closer. He was none too keen about leaving the relatively safety of the porch and confronting the glowing-eyed monster in the dark. But he was damned he was going to live in fear in his own house. Uh, <clears throat> he left the porch and began slowly working his way towards the barn, taking his time, building up his courage. He got closer and could still see no movement. It had gone farther into the dark. He got within 20 feet of the opening. His flashlight would now penetrate the gloom of the dark. <clears throat> it began... He, he moved the feeble beam of light over the contents of the barn, an old tractor and an old pickup, boxes and buckets, too many places for something to hide, even something big. He curiously walked closer, now shining the flashlight down the barrel of his rifle. He stopped at the entr entrance uh, and shined the light all over, searching the corners under the vehicle's uh, Every sense straining for sound and movement. He walked around the pickup, sensing, tensing for a huge hairy arm to reach out and grab him any second. He made his way to the clear, he made his way clear to the rear of the barn without seeing anything and slowly turned around to leave. He felt both relieved at not having encountered uh, it in the dark barn, frightened and somewhat confused about where it could have gone. He was walking <clears throat> out, excuse me. As he was walking out, he glanced at the side stairs, at the wide stairs leading up to the hayloft and froze. He knew with complete certainty that it had climbed those stairs and was waiting for him to walk out under the hayloft and jump down on him. Almost sounds like the uh, the Apache gentleman, Tom, that T.W. told us about. Um, uh -huh. Oh, yeah. He swore <laughs> that, he, was a, that was a great story. Yeah, he, he swore he could hear the floorboards softly creak above him as enormous weight edged stealthily closer to the edge. He stood with his heart pounding in his ears, unable to move or act. Suddenly, there was a booming explosion of a shotgun from the house, followed by his wife screaming. His paralysis broke, and he bolted out of the barn towards the house, completely forgetting what may have been in the hayloft. So, makes you wonder, was there more than one? Or was he imagining that sound? Um, as he ran towards the house, he heard an inhuman roar coming from the woods behind the house. It sounded pissed off and in pain. It screamed again, and he heard the branches breaking as it plowed through the forest, thankfully away from the house. He got to the house and almost knocked down the front door in his hurry to get inside. He ran down the hall to their room and found his family huddled together on the bed, sobbing. Uh, once one of the windows was blown away. His wife was still pointing a shotgun at it. When he burst in the room, she swung the gun in his direction and screamed, and he hit the floor uh, and waited for the blast, but it didn't come. He slowly stood up, and she put the gun down, and he went to the bed and asked her what had happened. Uh, but she was too shook up to answer just then. Tim started crying. Why did you shoot Cowman, Mommy? Why? John Jr. had his face buried against her shoulder crying. After they came down a bit, or calmed down a bit, she told him to get up and follow him. He led him into the living room, then went out, to, then went out the open front door and looked carefully around. He could see no sign of it. It was all quiet. He told them to come out and get in the car. They ran out in their pajamas and piled into the car and got in and drove to his brother's house in Elma. Um, on the way there, they had calmed down enough to tell him what happened. She said a couple hours after they went to bed, she finally dozed off. She was wakened by Tim talking to someone in this bizarre clicking, chirping sound. That's interesting. Um, oh, and this. She heard, she heard him talking to someone, and then there was this bizarre clicking, chirping sound. Tim wasn't in the bed. He was standing in front of one of the windows. The moonlight was shining through the windows, illuminating the room pretty good. But there was this large shadow like a tree obscuring the window in front of Tim. She knew there were no trees close enough to cast a shadow. She told, she told to get away. She told him to get away from the window. Mommy, listen, the cowman can sound like a bird. Tim said, pointing exactly at the dark, pointing excitedly at the dark figure in the window. Timmy, get away from that window. She said, trying to keep her voice quiet. Right after she spoke, the noises from the outside changed. It went from a soft chirping to a strange gibbering almost like human speech with an occasional pig-like snort thrown in. 
you know, that gibbering with the snort sounded just like what we heard up Copper Creek. The night I told you guys we heard one, there were two creatures, one making chimp noises and the other one making that exact gibberish kind of noise. Hmm. Um, yeah, but think about it. If you're looking at your kid, you want to get to your kid from the window as quickly as possible, making this absolutely bizarre situation, you know, the weird noises and stuff. It's, wow, it's interesting, too, where he said, he said it can sound just like a bird. Now, is that not an yep. imitation? How many times? Totally, one hundred percent. Yeah. How many times do we have we heard birds and it wasn't a bird? Maybe it wasn't a bird, and it wasn't an owl, and it wasn't a crow. Remember that? Right. Right. Uh, crow at four in the morning? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. So let me go on. At this time, little John woke up and said, "What is that?" Rather loudly, this seemed to incite the creature as it hit the side of the house with its fist hard enough for the walls to tremble. At this, little John screamed and, and Tim yelled, Quiet, you're going to scare him away. She yelled at Tim to get away from the window again and reached up on the headboard and grabbed the shotgun. She got out of bed and started towards Tim. The creature leaned down and looked straight in the window at her. She screamed and raised the shotgun, afraid to shoot because her son was so close to it. She started forward to grab Tim, and then there was an explosion of breaking glass. A gigantic hairy arm reached through the window toward her son. She screamed again and fired over Tim's head, blowing out the rest of the window and hitting the creature with double-lot buckshot. It jerked backwards out of the window and disappeared in the dark. A few seconds later, she heard it screaming in the woods. It was trying to get Tim. It was trying to grab my baby. She started crying again, uh, and he comforted her as best he could while driving. They stayed the rest of the night. Uh, the following, they stayed the night and the following night at his brother's family. Um, he told his brother about it and could see uh, he didn't really believe him. He agreed to ride back to John's house with him early Monday morning before work. Uh, they had left the front door open in their haste to leave and was afraid animals or vandals would have gotten into the house. When they arrived at the house. It looked like a tornado had gone through it. The couch was upside down. They had a large, heavy console TV, and it was apparently thrown across the room, lying in a spray of broken glass. The kitchen was trashed. The refrigerator knocked over food everywhere. Doors of both boys' rooms were left open, and the rooms were untouched, same as the bathroom. The master's bedroom was torn apart. Pillows ripped up, feathers everywhere. The chest of drawers was knocked over, and a large mirror smashed. John's brother looked in awe and said, you better call the police. John looked at him and said, and tell him what? Bigfoot destroyed my house. So apparently, he did, at least he knew what the, that word was. Um, oh, let's see. Okay, so it just goes on to say that, you know, um, yeah, about the insurance stuff. They really That was really kind of it. Um, How high was the window that, the little kid was in at the Bigfoot was you kind know, of chirping and stuff. They, they was it a second story or they didn't? I got the. They didn't say, but I'm thinking. Um, let's see. That was my impression that it was a second story window. Uh, I didn't see that anywhere. Yeah. I, I was trying to see. I have either. to re go back there and read that. Yeah, I, I don't recall either, but. Um, my imagination well, of course so overall what do you guys think i mean I, to me other than the red glowing eyes it, it seems to be pretty legitimate i mean there's too many details for it to be just a fabricated story especially at that time period well you well, know we hear it, the it, red... it gets your attention i'll give you know where it's like you know it's like you and me telling our stories when we were in at clark's ranch right right well, you, know, you know, the glowing eye know, situation, and... we hear that too often for it to be um, just readily dismissed. Now, sometimes it's amber. That's the most common one. But it's not uncommon to hear the red glowing eyes. There must be a light shine. I yeah, mean, it's, they're not self-illuminated. Right. It's got to be a reflection. Yeah. Forrest, what do you think? Well... No primates have capsized inside them, which is the reflective surface that 
um, you know, and uh, that you see on deer and raccoons and other mammals, uh, dogs, cats, whatever. Um, the lower simians have it, and I think that, uh, like I've said before, I think Bigfoot's an enigma. I think it happens to be a, uh, it may have retained, uh, obviously, some primitive features that, that work for it and um, other features that uh, are more modern uh, it has developed. So uh, it doesn't necessarily surprise me that uh, it, it exhibits capsis asylum. I don't think they're self-glowing. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's fertile right. that's uh, generating that. But, uh, you know, they're... If there's some sort of a light source, and we don't really know, I mean, we, we're hearing say that he used a, a flashlight. So, you know, did he use the flashlight and see the the uh, the reflection of the eyes, or did the you know I, it, that was not really clarified in the story? But that doesn't make it an untrue story just because of that. Right. So, uh, I, I think it's a valid story. And and I will tell you that um, a gentleman who was part of that family did contact me, and I think it was a couple of years ago, Tom wasn't it, um, who lives up in that area to this day, up in, um, um, not Aberdeen, but, um, oh, I can't think of the doggone name. Um, anyway, he he was married to uh, the man who owned the company. Um, his son was the one who wrote the story, and, and he claimed to, to this gentleman who was married to his sister, uh, their daughter, um, that he, he, you know, it was, it was a made up story, but, uh, the gentleman who contacted me said that it wasn't, that it was a real story. Um, so Milo, what do you think? I, you know, I'm going to put this with anything else that I hear at, at, at first light or, and just reading it. I believe it. Chuck, how about, you know, yeah. it's like, I, it's like, wow. But, you know, at the same time, you know, until proven, you know, that it was, you know, all made up, I'm still going to believe it until that day shows up. Right. Chuck, how about you? Oh, I think it's real. Um, there's too many things that that are in the story that we've actually heard before uh, as far as encounters go. Um, the block teeth. I mean, I saw that myself uh, when I was in the big thicket when he was picking in my window on my truck. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've I've seen that stuff, and and I, I think this is a legit story. It, and, it has uh, way too many way too many details that the average person wouldn't yeah. have known if they didn't experience this. Yeah, exactly. Especially the time frame. That's you know the context. Um, yeah, there's a lot of repeating patterns in the story, and and there there seems to be a good motivation for the person, for the one person, who said no, this never happened. Right, right. To just basically, I want this to go away. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah, you would. So it never happened. You wouldn't want the attention on yourself, David. What do you think? Well, it's like everybody's been saying. There, there's too many details that match up to events today. But one thing the story didn't mention that happened is that the wife made a 911 call. Okay, well that wasn't that wasn't in the story. Yeah, it wasn't in the story, but it happened. Right. Well, and and she wanted to call the sheriff, but her husband talked her out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then didn't the brother didn't believe him either, right? right. I mean, it was like, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. So, I mean, I, where, you know, where John was, you know, he was at his wits end with all of it on both sides of it. One, he saw and heard and done to protect his family. And, and then on the other side, he's going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, who am, who's going to believe me if I say this? Right, exactly. And the kind so of person he, got, he was, I don't think he would have made up something like and, this. And that's all. what it said in the beginning. Yeah, he was the kind of person that wouldn't have done things like that. Right. Now, well, he doesn't I, I, want to call attention to himself, or he would have been doing it from the get-go about everything. I, I do have a question. Didn't they make a movie about this called Something in the Woods? Yeah, I, about I believe so. Event? Yeah. All right, guys. Well, listen, we're going to wrap up. Folks, what do you think? 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there. <laughs> <laughs>